With all those chits, you can order up a bath. Have you ever had a fresh water Why bath? Why are you talking to me? Just being friendly. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute presents Waterworld H2O Minutes at a Time. I'm Rick. I'm Julia. And today we're talking about minutes 19 and 20, which begin with the Nord shoving the barfly out of the way and end with the Mariner buying a tomato plant. I feel so bad for the barfly because he was at the counter, he was buying drinks, talking to Helen, and these strangers come up behind him. And just start shoving him around. I think even in this society, there are classes of people. <laughs> Maybe it's a little less defined than in our society. Mm-hmm. But this barfly does not elicit the respect to not push him around. I wonder about this guy because I feel, as an observer, based on his clothing, that he is a drifter. He is similar to the Mariner and Nord that he is an outsider that has come to the atoll to trade because he's just not dressed like everybody else. He's got the hat. He's got the long coat. He just strikes me as an outsider. And I'm not saying that he necessarily demands respect by how he looks, but the way that these people are just manhandling him, it makes me feel bad. Definitely. I can understand that maybe the locals treat the drifters and traders a certain way. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to say whether they would look down on them because they don't have a permanent home or they would look well on them because they bring them interesting resources from around the world. It's kind of hard to say how they would see them differently, but I think they would see them very differently. You suppose that the Mariner and the Nord and the Barfly are all of the same category of people who are not native to the Atoll. So... Do traders and drifters just treat each other like assholes? Honestly, at this point, I believe it. Yeah. So the Nord comes up to the counter, and he leans on it. He looks over at the Mariner, and he says a word. He says, skull. It is a Danish, Norwegian, Swedish word for cheers or good health, a salute or a toast as to an admired person or group. It is essentially Viking for cheers, mate. Yeah. It's making it abundantly clear He's Nordic. If it wasn't abundantly clear before, (laughs) the fact that he says skull means, yeah, he's Nordic. While we record, I play on loop the segment that we are discussing, and obviously it's on mute. That definitely tends to point out to me different things than when you're watching clips with volume. Something that is standing out to me about the Nord and how he presents himself is that he has his full body turned toward the Mariner, and he's quite a bit shorter, or the way he's leaning, he's quite a bit lower down than the Mariner, and he is staring at him intently, deeply looking at him, and it's quite disconcerting. (laughs) It's very bizarre, especially when there's no volume to go with it. It starts about 30 seconds into this chunk. Oh, okay. And I suppose this is his power move. Because, yeah, it's kind of powerful. It's a very bizarre way to interact with somebody whom you're trying to be friendly with. 
<laughs> he, he just has an odd way about him. Mm-hmm. Odd way about him is a good way to describe the Nord. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the Mariner has finished off the glass that Helen poured him last week. He raises it, asks for one more, and the Nord pipes up. He says, make it two. A man this rich will buy for a fellow outwater, I'm sure. And the Mariner refutes this by clarifying that he only wants one glass of water. This interaction, kind of the whole interaction that these two have together, feels very Wild West. Like spaghetti westerns in the bar. But in westerns and spaghetti westerns, I feel like the Mariner character would have bought the drink for the other man. There is a level of courtesy that is shown at the bar that may not exist outside of that bar, outside of that situation that the Nord, I think, is counting on. And the Mariner does not care about at all. (laughs) He's not here to make friends. No. He is aware of and follows this drifter code and insists upon this drifter code out on the water, but he's not on the water anymore. He kind of has no code anymore. Mm. (laughs) Okay. Which is opposite of a Western style code Mm -hmm. where you come into town and you observe rituals that you may not observe out in the wild. Speaking of being out in the wild, what do you make of the term outwater? Because you have the phrase outlander as someone who is a drifter out in the wilds, drifting from town to town. They are an outlander. They live on the outlands. But you can't say outwater-er, so they just shorten it down to outwater. Yeah, I like that shortening. I like that they have this term. I like the way it feels on my tongue. I also like the term that they chose, the outwater, because there is in water. They've created this lagoon type area inside the atoll. By comparison, you can call the atollers in waters. Yeah, I think I prefer the term drifter and atoller to outwater. Because when you say outwater, I think of the water itself. I hear outwater and I think outland. And when you have someone in the outlands, they are an outlander. And when you have someone in the outwater, they're a drifter. It just makes more sense to me, but it's a made-up universe anyway. They can say whatever they want. (laughs) At the end of the day, that's what it is. But it just, mm, I like that you like it. I don't prefer it. Knowing you as I do, I can see why you don't like it. Helen is not engaging with this interaction between the Mariner and the Nord, and I think that is so correct. She is there to tend the bar. She is not there to get involved with petty squabbles. Yeah, she probably has a plan to keep the peace if necessary, whether that be she's got a weapon of some kind under the bar, or she controls the situation on her own, or she has somebody nearby she can call for. Whatever way, I think she has a plan for if things get out of control, but I can't imagine that that happens very often. Mostly because there's no actual alcohol involved. I like to think that she's got a little bell under the counter that she rings it and the enforcer comes running. Yeah, I can imagine that. He seems the type to have a very good idea of what's going on yeah. all over the place. He's the at sheriff. At all times. So all he needs is some sort of indication, some sort of clue that something is not right. And he beelines it there. Like he just has this control over everything. Which I find very comforting. Mm-hmm. One of the most striking things about the Nord compared to the Mariner is Nord's jawline. It is so defined. 
And then you look at Kevin Costner and his jawline is just so soft. (laughs) (laughs) You get the sense that if you were to punch Nord on the chin, you would hurt your hand. Oh, for sure. Yeah. (laughs) At some point, the Mariner turns around and he looks at the crowd of people that are staring at him. And I have to wonder if the people on the atoll have maybe jobs or an equivalent daily task list that they have to perform. because. The way that these people are standing around, I get the sense that work is not being done. Yeah, that goes back to the governing style conversation that we have had in the past, bordering on too much, where if this is a communal society, then everybody has work that they need to do as part of their contribution to the whole. You're right, it's not getting done. But there's also enough people in the society that... Yes, everybody has work that they need to do, but not so much work that they can't do other things. Mm -hmm. That's the mark of a society where there is surplus. Well, there appears right now to be surplus time. So they get to do other things. They get to have hobbies. They get to gossip. They get to nap. They get to do whatever they want, including being curious and following around a wealthy, very wealthy, mysterious trader. Shifting focus back to the counter. Nord looks at the Mariner and remarks that it's an interesting pair of boots that he's got. And he says trade. And I'm not sure if Nord is asking, did the Mariner get those boots in a trade or if the Mariner is willing to trade the boots? I assumed he was asking if the Mariner was willing to trade the boots. We're going to see later on that Nord gets his hand on those boots. Yeah. So I definitely feel like it was that former option yeah of course the mariner is not willing to trade and the nord is undeterred in trying to converse with the mariner he asks how long you been out there man and the mariner is not the kind to engage with him and the nord follows that up by saying don't hurt asking talking costs nothing and in my notes i wrote down nothing is free in Waterworld." and wouldn't you know in the book this is what it says so dirt man the nord said How long have you been out? The Mariner looked coldly at the Nord and said nothing. Talk is free, the Nord said. Nothing's free in Waterworld, the Mariner said. I love it. I love it. Because that's exactly why the Nord is talking to him. I've been going back and forth in my head about why the Nord is putting forth so much effort into sweet-talking this guy, into being friendly with him. The Nord doesn't necessarily need resources. He seems like he's doing well, and he's also got resources out at home base that we don't know about yet. He doesn't need the resources. He is here on this atoll for information. He's a spy. Yeah. So that's his motivation in talking to this guy. That's why he wants to know this man who's got all this dirt. Huh. Where'd you find it? (laughs) So this is absolutely talk that could cost. A great deal. It's almost like loose lips sink ships. Oh, yeah. Crazy how that works, right? (laughs) (laughs) The Mariner actually engages a little bit because the Nord asked how long you've been out. And the Mariner says, it depends. What lunar is it? And lunar, of course, is their word for month because... In the English language, month is derived from moon, and moon is lunar, so it all just works together. And so the Nord starts 
trying to figure out what month it is. And he says, April, March, June, it's August. And then he turns to the barfly that he pushed design. He said, this August? And the barfly is like, yep. <laughs> I have never related more to a few lines of movie than this exact line. Because it is currently August it of is, 2020. It is the and, 30th of August. And if you ask me what month it is, I'm going to go, let's see. I've been home for April and March and June. I think it's August now. It bothers me that he listed March after April, but... He doesn't mention July at all. Exactly. Okay, I'm kind of good with that because, first of all, a lunar... Month is not a month on our calendar. A lunar month is 28 days. Our calendar moves all over the place between 28 and 31. So these do not correspond to a lunar month. These people would obviously switch back to pure lunar time. So the months no longer correspond. Calendars mean nothing anymore. I'm surprised. Why are they even using the same names? There may not even be a July anymore. April may come before March. It's things being lost in translation over time, which we've seen from Mad Max is very post-apocalyptic. Mm -hmm. So it's entirely possible that the sequence of months for these four months is April, March, June, August. I don't know what the numbers reflect, but if you shifted everything to every month having 28 days, for one thing, our guest episodes would always fall on the fourth episode of the month, which would be nice because that's how I built it. But anyway, you would definitely have a shorter year overall. You would lose out on, I think, a couple of weeks worth of days. Which you would, if you wanted to have the solar year be accurate, you would have to make up for that, which is why our calendar is so wonky. The sun and the moon do not cooperate with each other. <laughs> you have to choose. Is your calendar based on the sun or is it based on the moon? I think either way is valid. You just have to choose. It just makes a lot of sense that they base their calendars more on the moon because the moon is a lot closer. Yeah. It's easier to do by sight. If you're going to base your calendar on the sun, then once a year in the right place, it's going to be straight above you at the right place at the right time. And then, okay, there you go. Okay, we start the solar year. Mm -hmm. And then you have to wait a whole 360 Five and a quarter days mm -hmm. before you get that again. Well, with a moon, every four weeks, you get a full moon. Exactly. And every four weeks, you get no moon. It's much easier to keep track of for these people who don't really have the technology to do so. Mm -hmm. And the Mariner says that he has been out on the water for 15 lunars, a whole year and three months without going into an atoll. Not a year and three months of our time, though. Right. 15 lunar cycles. So 28 days in a lunar cycle times 15. So 420 days. Okay. Well, let's distract ourselves from talking about lunar months and things because we cut to the side about halfway through this chunk and a small girl emerges from a doorway at the end of the counter and she opens up this small little wood burner. This is Enola. This is the little girl with the tattoo on her back and she is played by Tina Majorino. According to IMDb, she is best known for 2004's Napoleon Dynamite, where she played Deb, 2014's Veronica Mars the Movie, where she played Mac, this movie, and 1994's Karina Karina, where she played Molly. So once again, 
Waterworld makes it into someone's top four. Mm-hmm. An accomplished actor. Yeah. Okay. I'm just surprised. So Tina Majorino was born February 7th, 1985 in Westlake, California. Majorino began her acting career in a 1992 sitcom called Camp Wilder. Her first film role was in 1994's When a Man Loves a Woman. She subsequently starred in leading roles in the family films Karina Karina and Andre, both of which were released in August 1994. Her next film was the 1995 action film Waterworld, playing a child named Enola. She played the title role in the 1999 television film Alice in Wonderland. After Alice, she took some time off from the business. She has since cited burnout as the reason for her hiatus from acting. She did not appear in another film until the 2004 cult film Napoleon Dynamite. From 2004 onward, she played a recurring role in UPN's series Veronica Mars as the computer-savvy Cindy Mac McKenzie. It began in the show's eighth episode, Like a Virgin, and continued until the show's series finale, The Bitch is Back. Show creator Rob Thomas created the role with her in mind. She had met Thomas while interviewing him for a report on one of his books. Majorino became a series regular in the show's third and final season. During her time on Veronica Mars, she also started appearing in a recurring role on the cable television series Big Love with Waterworld co-star Gene Triplehorn and fellow Veronica Mars cast members Amanda Seyfried and Kyle Galliner. In 2005, she appeared in the music video for the song Blind by rock group Lifehouse. She returned to television in 2011, playing the recurring role of special agent Jenny Shaw on Bones. In 2012, she reprised her role as Deb in the animated TV version of Napoleon Dynamite, which I did not know existed. Yeah. She was also seen playing the role of the vampire Molly in season five of the HBO series True Blood, an uncredited role as a pregnant woman in the Fox series Raising Hope in an episode titled Tarot Cards, and the role of intern Dr. Heather Brooks in season nine of the ABC series Grey's Anatomy, with her character being killed off in the two-part premiere of season 10. In 2014, she appeared in the Veronica Mars film as her character Mac, a project financed by fans through Kickstarter. Majorino was approached to reprise Mac when Veronica Mars was renewed for a fourth season by Hulu in 2019, but turned it down upon learning the role was essentially a cameo. Oh, that's too bad. Hmm. I will admit that while I was familiar with Waterworld growing up, I did not initially realize that it was the same person when I watched Napoleon Dynamite in 2004. I think that's because she did take that hiatus, which seemed like good timing. Being a child actor, it's really hard to transition to being a successful adult actor. And it seems like instead of fighting through that transition, she just took a break, let herself transition from a child into an adult, and then return to the business. That seems like a pretty decent model of how to make that transition. Mm Mm-hmm. And 1999 to 2004, I'm pretty sure that's high school age. So let's see. She's two years older than you? Two years older than me. I was a freshman in fall 2001, so she would have been a freshman in fall 1999. Yeah. So sounds like she took high school off, and that seems like a really good decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it definitely worked out for her. She's still working all the way up into 2020, so that's pretty good. Yeah. So I'd say she successfully made that transition from child to adult. And that's always nice to see. Yeah. She's on Instagram. I sent her a message saying, hey, do you want to come talk to us? And I haven't heard back. So I probably won't 
hear back. That's yeah. how it is with celebrities. Right. And that's okay. We don't need to talk to famous people. We like to talk to famous people, but we don't need to. <laughs> As we jump back into the minute, I want to talk about her name for a sec. Okay. Her name is Enola, which right. is alone backwards. But it's also part of the name of the plane that dropped the atomic bombs on Japan, the Enola Gay. Oh, okay. So do you know which was the inspiration for her name? I think it was six of one, half dozen of the other. Okay. So the name Enola, it's funny because when we started this, the name Enola didn't really mean anything to me. But the other day, I saw a trailer for a new Netflix show. So Millie Bobby Brown and Henry Cavill are doing a Netflix show called Enola Holmes. And she is a Holmes sibling of Sherlock Holmes. And Henry Cavill plays Sherlock Holmes. And it's an adventure with her. So I just saw that preview the other day. It's coming out September 23rd. So by now, I've probably binged the whole thing because it looks really good. Anyways, same name. I think it's a weird name. I don't care for it. Mm -hmm. I don't care for the fact that it's alone backwards. It's kind of depressing. And it's like on purpose depressing. Mm -hmm. Like. You name your child Enola because they're alone, but they're not. They have you. So it's like you're naming them that knowing that they won't have you. I don't like it. Yeah, but if you spell it backwards, it means it's the opposite of that word. It's the mirror image of it. Or you just name them a normal name. Honestly, what's a normal name in Waterworld? (sighs) I guess Helen. Yeah, Helen is a normal name. (laughs) Gregor, that's a pretty normal name for some people. Okay, yeah. It's not like people are running around named Humongous. Right? And Auntie Entity. Yeah. And then you got names like Papagallo and Iron Bar and all of that other fun stuff. Right. You have names and then you have monikers. Enola, speaking of her, is digging around in this tiny little wood burner and she's digging out pieces of charcoal and the Nord takes special attention of her and he looks back at the hydraulic. And the hydraulic, with all the subtlety of a steamroller, points at her, and he whispers, that's her. And thank goodness no one cares about the hydraulic, because it would be so painfully obvious if anybody were to notice him doing this. And Helen rushes over to get Enola back inside. There are strangers all over the place, and the rumor of the smokers looking for Enola has probably reached Helen. So I think she's right to be super cautious like this. Yeah. So with that in mind, there's a moment when Helen grabs the back of Enola's shirt and lifts it up over the tattoo that we get a pretty decent look at. Mm -hmm. If the tattoo is a concern, why not put her in a shirt that absolutely, even after shifting, covers the tattoo? I know that Helen doesn't have canvas, but... I don't think anybody on the atoll is actually wearing canvas. No. They're all wearing nets and fish leather and all of this other stuff. Why not give Enola a better top to wear? Right. Maybe it's that she can't get one. Maybe no one's going to make one for her. Or she had one, but it got damaged. I don't know. Kids ruin stuff all the time. They're destructive little torrents of awfulness. (laughs) I'm not talking about your kids specifically, listener. Your kids specifically is great, but in general, I don't care for them. (laughs) Well, even the shirt that she is wearing, if it were sewn up differently, Mm -hmm. it would be better. The problem is it's too loose. So tighten it up. Yeah. 
sure you want to have it loose because you want to be able to let it out as she gets bigger, but it doesn't need to be sagging around. You know what it is? It's probably Helen in the morning telling Enola to get dressed and Enola being a lazy kid about it. Yeah, probably. Because Enola doesn't realize that the tattoo on her back is more like a target and she is not being adequately careful. Yeah, that is quite possible that it's Enola being a kid. Mm-hmm. And Enola is being told, no, you can't pull stuff out of the bottom of this little burner thing. And Enola is only concerned with getting another piece of charcoal so that she can draw more stuff. Ellen just has to say, listen, I'm going to get you a piece of charcoal. Stop digging around in the bottom of the burner. As unusual as this setting is, this interaction is so not unusual. It's so typical of a parent and a kid. Mm -hmm. It's reassuring that some parts of human nature just don't change, especially the kid parts. With Enola ushered into the back room, we cut back to Mariner and the Nord. And Nord says, with all of those chits, you could order up a bath. Have you ever had a freshwater bath? And with freshwater being at a premium, I was super curious. And so I went on to Google and I found TakeCareOfTexas.org. They say... Generally, taking a shower uses less water than a full bath. A standard shower head flows at a rate of 2.5 gallons per minute. This means that a 10-minute shower uses only 25 gallons of water, whereas a full bath can use up to 70 gallons of water. Using those numbers, a shower will use less water in most cases. I don't think that these atolls necessarily have a 70-gallon bathtub. If they have a bathtub, it's probably like the ones that you see in Wild West movies where it's rather narrow, deep, and long enough for you to sit down in upright. Like you see at the end of Maverick when Michelle Pfeiffer comes in and steals the money, but the real money's hidden in the boot. It's Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster. Ah, it's been a while since I've seen Maverick. You have to forgive me my trespass. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I doubt that. It's the luxury that we think of as a pampering bath. Yeah, there are no hot tubs in Waterworld. Yeah, definitely not. I would be surprised if he could even submerge any percentage of his body. I wonder if it's like a countertop-sized tub of fresh water and some soap. Mm -hmm. More of a sponge bath than a submerging in a bath. When it comes to being covered in salt water, because... You're a bigger fan of the ocean than I am. Mm-hmm. I don't care for the kind of ocean water we have up here in the northeast of the U.S. because all of our ocean water is cold. It's always cold. doesn't always matter what cold. year it is. The trick is waiting for the air to be hot enough that the cold is a relief. But when you get out of the ocean and you go home... Oh, those are the best showers. Yeah, you're washing the salt off of you. Yes. Oh, the most satisfying showers are after a day at the beach. Between the salt water, the sand, suntan lotion, all that stuff. It Oh, it's the best. So I imagine, yeah, it's not good for the skin. It's drying and, and crusty and, yeah, it's not good for the skin. <laughs> it's crazy to think that where fresh water is supposed to be at a premium, that you can buy something like a fresh water bath. That they would even allow you that as an option. Right, because what did chits mean to them? Yeah. 
it's back to that economy question. Yeah, we keep going back to that. We yeah, because if it is it. purely a capitalist, shit-centered economy, then there is value in allowing someone who has that kind of money to purchase a freshwater bath. And contaminate all of that fresh water. Right. <laughs> oh my gosh, I just had a thought. What's that? Did you hear about that one internet personality oh. who sold her bath water? Yeah. My gosh. That's so gross. It really is. Everything about that whole situation is gross. I don't begrudge someone the opportunity to separate fools from their money. I just would never want to participate in it because it's right. so gross to me. Well, what I find gross is not the seller. I find the buyers gross. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Because even the water itself, I don't find gross. Because gray water, as it's called. There's much grosser versions of gray water mm -hmm. than bath water. Because after he takes a freshwater bath, they're not just going to throw that gray water into the ocean. They're going to probably put it on the plants that yeah. they have. They're going to use it elsewhere. It's just like the mariner taking a swig, swishing it around in his mouth, and then spitting it onto his lime plant. Mm -hmm. That's now gray water. He reuses it. Yeah. So it's not like they can't reuse the water. Just as long as this bathtub that the Nord is referring to isn't also on the organo barge. If you're going to wash yourself, you don't want to have to be sitting next to a fetid pool. Oh, yeah. I would think <laughs> that the benefits, the value of a freshwater bath would be half in where you do it. Mm-hmm. Like privacy, cleanliness of the environment. Those things are also very valuable. The Mariner is tired of the Nord speaking to him. He turns and says, why are you talking to me? Which is 100% a mood that I can sympathize with at times. And the Nord smiles back and says, just being friendly. <laughs> I imagine the Mariner, his question, why are you talking to me, is related to his line from the book saying, nothing's free in Waterworld. Mm -hmm. Why are you talking to me? What do you really want from me? Because he knows that the Nord has ulterior motives. Because he has to. Because nothing's free in Waterworld. In the book, they specify that after the Mariner says, why are you talking to me, that the Nord has a grin on his face that has nothing to do with smiling. And then he says the phrase, just being friendly. And the Mariner retorts with, I don't have friends. Yeah, that's definitely a mood. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, the Nord exits the scene. We're done with him for now. That's so our society. Yeah. Not seeing the difference between having friends and being friendly. Those are the type of people who are rude to their servers at restaurants. Yes. They are not required to be friendly to those people because they are not friends with those. And they are completely two different things. <laughs> Once the Nord is gone, the Mariner focuses in on Helen again. And he notices that down at the end of the counter, there is a plant. And so he asks specifically, is that a tomato plant? And Helen is impressed that he was able to identify a tomato plant. Okay, I'm only half impressed because there is a tomato on it. But it's like a little cherry tomato. Yes. It's not like a big, plump beefsteak tomato. Yeah. I would be more impressed if he could tell it was a tomato plant just based on the leaf shape mm -hmm. and the trunk shape. It actually has a tomato on it. <laughs> the Mariner asks how much, and Helen says, half your chits. And once again, Helen doesn't know how many chits the Mariner has, just as much as the Mariner doesn't know how many chits he was given. 
unless he counted them like right. Rain Man as he was walking over to the trailer. And he just pours out a bunch of chits. He doesn't know if that's half. Yeah, she doesn't know if the chits that he has are enough to A, cover the water he's already ordered, cover the line he's already ordered. They have not discussed the pricing of anything else. Yeah, the tomato plant, like half the chits, what does that mean? Half the chits that he currently has or half the chits he has after he pays for everything else. Yeah. This is just crappy negotiation going on here. <sighs> I know, right? And Helen tries to do the thing that the Mariner did to the banker. She reaches out and puts her hand on the edge of the jar. But the Mariner is faster than the banker. He's able to pull the jar away from her in a way that the banker was not able to pull the bag of chits away from the Mariner. Yeah, just like I thought the Mariner's move to the banker was rude, I think Helen's move is also rude. It's presumptuous. It is presumptuous. Like, if someone's got their wallet or their purse on the counter saying, how much is that thing? Honestly, how would you react if they reached out for your wallet? You'd go berserk. Mm -hmm. It's just unheard of that somebody would put their hands on your money holder. Yeah, because that jar, he came in with that jar. Yeah. That's not a jar that the banker gave him. So, of course, he would be very possessive of it because, A, I don't know if that's a plastic or a glass jar, but it's a good-sized jar, and there's a lot of rope tied around to it in mm -hmm. a, that little basket formation, which always reminds me of hanging plants in homes of older people. Yeah, you're not going to let someone take that from you because all parts of that are valuable in a water world. That is a large use of rope. Yeah, but Helen takes her failed attempt at taking the jar in stride. She does a little shift and nods and heads off down the counter to grab the tomato plant. And I love how the tomato plant has little floats around the pot that it's sitting in. Yes, at first glance, honestly, I thought those were little decorative flourishes. It took me a moment to realize that they were floats, just in case it gets knocked over. Yeah. Or maybe it's left over from a trader who sold it to her. That's a drifter who, you know, had it out on the open water. Mm -hmm. Always a possibility. Yeah. It's a clever addition. Although if you accidentally drop that in the ocean and it gets salt water in it, it's going to die anyways. <laughs> it's a tenuous grasp on life. Yes. That brings us to the end of these minutes. So come back next time. We'll see the Mariner finish his shopping spree by cleaning out the entire store. But he runs into trouble when he turns down a proposition from one of the Atoll elders. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. Waterworld was written by Peter Rader and David Tui, directed by Kevin Reynolds, and presented by Universal Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is madmaxminute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at madmaxminute. And like us on Facebook by searching Mad Max Minute and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash madmaxmin. Thank you for joining us for Waterworld episode 10. See you next time.